All right. But, so uh, episode, I don't know what episode we're on. I think whenever in doubt, we're episode 400. That's what I'm going to start doing. Oh, okay. I feel like I've been on episode eight for like three or four episodes. <laughs> so let's call it episode nine. Then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's probably closer than 400. <laughs> since we only do this about once every six months. <laughs> Whatever. If you want to be one of those guys. <laughs> anyway, this is the slam go. Um, we're uh, joined this, uh, this episode with, by a special guest, Brian Schmolt, the world's biggest Cleveland Browns fan. We're, on a, we're using a Zoom meeting, and he, he even has his name labeled Dog Pound. So this is yes, this setting is the stage. Dog Pound edition. Yep. <laughs> awesome. um, so who who better to bring in at a time like this, where what we're twenty something days, twenty yeah, just under twenty days away from the magic time. Uh, mm-hmm. The Browns currently sit with the first and fourth pick uh, after overhauling pretty much everything. Um, so, uh, but you know. I mean, we right before we dive into the draft, we can talk about, I don't know, uh, Brian, in, in terms of you, a lifelong fan, and your, your network of fans, <laughs> like, what's the excitement level right now? Is it, is it the usual, like, well, hey, um, hope we can win a game? Or is it like, <laughs> you know, where from how do we fix the Browns to, hey, we're actually getting fixed? Uh, are we on the spectrum? Um, I would say that, you know, this is always the uh, exciting time of year for Browns fans over the last 10 years. <laughs> I mean, you might, you might say that in 20 more years, exciting than Super Bowl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically one win over two years will do that to you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's an exciting time with, uh, you know, new GM coming in and kind of cleaning house and uh, getting rid of the old uh, regime that I think, they tried to do kind of that money ball scheme in the NFL. And right. I don't think the NFL kind of works that way. And um, after trying to stock up on just like excessive personnel kind of going um, quantity over quality, it seems like the new GM has kind of stepped in, brought in a bunch of veterans and, um, you know, three, four year guys that can come in, start, get this team into a good spot. And then, um, use some of these high draft picks over the last couple of years to, uh, you know, bring in some high level talent. And, uh, you know, they did a good job last year getting Miles Garrett, number one, who, when he was healthy, he looked like a stud. Yeah. Um, he looked everything about like a number one pick for sure. Exactly. So, you know, they're building on a little momentum from last year and, uh, you know, to start free agency, making big moves with, uh, Tyrod Taylor and Jarvis Landry, yeah. uh, Damaris Randall, like they're making moves in the right direction for sure. Um, yeah. So it's it's a very exciting time for him, and you know, hopefully it's uh, hopefully it's going to w- lead to wins. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I, it's been a while since I've seen one of those. <laughs> I mean, before free agency even really kicked off, I was like, you know, just sort of a little bit extra tapped into their moves just to kind of see what was going on because, uh, you know, don't know if I can recall a time when you had a a team that had the the, the top end capital that they have going to the draft. But I was like, okay, let's see, like, what are they going to do with um free agency and everything beforehand but you know the uh the moves they made not just bringing in um the new gm whose track record kind of speaks for itself like helped build kansas city um and they're stacked with Mm -hmm. talent you know and have been for a while the guy knows what he's doing clearly um but they they went further right they brought in some people from the uh executive team front office team from green bay which again always homegrown talent they almost always Mm -hmm like hit on their draft picks um you know 
uh, and then uh, brought in a guy I'm very familiar with uh, as a Niners fan, Scott McLuhan, who okay. was the GM for the Niners that helped stockpile a lot of the picks um, that were sort of the the catalyst for that that Harbaugh run that that uh, that we had. Um, and Scott McLuhan was also in the front office in uh, in Washington and helped find a lot of the gems that they got. So I mean, the guy that's he just he finds talent, you know, it's what he does. So I just felt like getting the house in order, you know, in terms of the front office was sort of setting the stone for a lot of the stuff. So when they started making some of these moves, I was like, okay, this is like, this is starting to make some sense here. And Mm -hmm. I don't think Tyrod's necessarily a bridge quarterback, you know, like a lot of people kind of assume he is. And I can understand if you draft a quarterback early, like I'm sure we're going to (laughs) discuss, you know, uh, that, that has some implications to it, but I feel like he's a guy that can still start. Um, for like a while, like he's not someone that needs to be on a short leash or anything, you know? Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. Um, you know, with, with Tyrod coming in, you know, he's a guy that, um, did pretty well in Buffalo and took them to the playoffs and, um, he's got good experience and also, um, he's going to allow them to draft a quarterback probably first overall. And then, allow that guy to develop. So that kind of gives them room if they want to get, you know, a Sam Darnold that could play pretty quickly or Josh Allen that maybe they want to rest for a couple of years and learn the system. <clears throat> Tyrod Taylor is a good guy to get in there um, and make things happen. Um, yeah. Plus kind of looking at what they had last year in Deshaun Kaiser, um, you know, I think Tyrod's a guy that comes in. He could fit pretty well in Hughes' system. Um, and he can move a little bit with, which is going to help with, you know, Joe Thomas leaving and having a little bit of a new offensive line there, not yep. having that anchor anymore. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, you know, just not getting as many sacks and taking care of the ball a little bit more. Um, yep. but I definitely think he could play for, you know, two, three years, um, maybe four and, and give them some opportunities to try to get to the playoffs and capitalize on a time when, you know, big Ben's, uh, careers, you know, slowly dwindling down. So yep. there might be starting so, to see an opening in there. And uh, the Ravens haven't been all that great as of late. Um, you know, Cincinnati's up and down. So it's a time where if, if the Browns can get some things right, man, they could, they could make a little bit of a run for a couple of years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So. I mean, Tyrod is definitely, he's an above average quarterback. So, I mean, you know, obviously a solid starter. Um, Jarvis Landry is like all world. I mean, that guy is, you know, Odell Beckham is number one in athleticism. Jarvis Landry's like number one A or something. <laughs> yeah. Carlos Hyde, solid running back. I mean, you know, you had a couple of offensive linemen. I mean, that's all of a sudden you have an offense now. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and the, you know, the other big one is if uh, if Josh Gordon is on the field for you know all sixteen games this year. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The, the, the dangerous ability of that offense potentially with, you know, Carlos Hyde in the backfield, you know, the potential of Duke Johnson maybe flanked out to the right or to the left, also coming out of the backfield. Um, Gordon and Landry on the outside. Uh, mm-hmm. And Joku, the tight end they got last year. Yep. Great hands. You know, not yep. the best blocker, but as yep. a receiving tight end, he's, he's phenomenal. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like Corey Coleman, who was your first-round draft pick a few years ago, He's trying to fight to be a number three wide receiver. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. that's a good problem to have, and it's something mm-hmm. we haven't seen in Cleveland 
in terms of star wide receiver talent in a long time. Um, so it, it's very exciting. Um, you know, there are some questions on the uh, outside of the offensive line now with the retirement of Joe Thomas. And, um, you know, they brought in um, Chris Hubbard from Pittsburgh. Um, you know, he looks to be a solid replacement possibly on the left side or maybe, you know, moving him to the other side and moving um, – I think there was a guy, uh, Sean Coleman. I've heard he mm-hmm. might move to the left side. Yep. Um, you know, they got a pretty good interior line that they signed in the last offseason. So, um, you know, hopefully they can uh, take care of the football and, you know, score some points this year. Yeah. I mean, they, they made some plays last year. Um, the, biggest, the biggest thing they had wrong last year was, you know, Kaiser was young and inexperienced and he made a lot of turnovers in the red zone. Yeah. I, I think he probably led the league in red zone interceptions. Um, I mean, I don't know how many times we got within the 10-yard line and he threw a pick in the end zone. Yeah. And it was, oh, man, I want to pull my hair out. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the, the growing pains with rookie quarterbacks, you know, and I think that's exactly what you're talking about with, um, you know, getting the luxury at this point of sitting whoever you draft. Um, mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I, uh, I've gone back and forth on this with uh, a lot of folks and, and even, like, uh, with, with, my, with myself about what I think they're going to do at one. Um, as time has gone on, I think the more conventional wisdom of like take a quarterback at the top and then at four, just kind of go with like any number of needs that you can fill. Um, Cause you're still not going to, I think almost any player you get at four, you're still getting like immediate impact pro bowl level mm-hmm. talent with the, the way the numbers could work out. Um, but in terms of the quarterbacks, I mean, are you, are you sold on Darnold? Are you thinking maybe Allen? Are you just like everybody else? Like, Hey, we'll, we'll see who they love. Um, I, I like Darnold. I, I just still have, um, I have my reserves about him after, uh, Ohio state kind of picked him apart a little bit. Yeah. Um, last year, um, Allen is, is very curious because you look at Josh Allen and you put him next to big Ben and you're like, Oh, they look very, very similar. Yeah. Um, at, around the time Ben was coming out of college and things like that. And then you think of Todd Haley as the offensive coordinator now. And like, you can see the possibilities there. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think kind of like what people are saying, you know, Darnold is kind of that safe choice. Um, they've now seen him work out twice. He came to Cleveland earlier, I think in the week, mm-hmm. and then he went back to USC, actually cut his trip short to go back to USC to uh, throw at another guy's pro day. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of got to see him basically work out a second time for free. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of intrigue in there. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm wondering if, if uh, Dorsey rolls the dice and, you know, surprises people and possibly takes Allen at number one. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's intriguing. I, I think my gut is – I think they're going to take Darnold at one. Yeah. Um, and they're going to see what's open at four. You know, is it going to be um, – is Barkley still going to be there? Is Fitzpatrick – the guy they go after, um, or uh, is it is Chubb, the defensive end? Um, yeah, there's, so, there's, yeah, so there's a yeah. lot of options there. I think just after the way they've been the last couple of years, um, you know, they, they, they're they probably – they're going to take a quarterback at number one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you have to, yeah. I think I mean, even though as high as I yeah, am on, I mean, on, on Saquon, like, I think you have to take a quarterback. I'm kind of convinced at this point. But, you know, my, my thing is I, I feel like – like Lamar Jackson is actually pro- like 
has the potential to be a better quarterback than any of the, of the four that get talked about all the time. And even mm-hmm. out of those four, I still, uh, I'm still, I think I would probably rate Mayfield, Baker Mayfield above the other ones, just because accuracy is such a, an important thing in the, in the NFL. But that's just me. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sold on the other, the other ones at the top of the, the list. Yeah, I mean, I feel like all of them have their faults. Absolutely, um, yeah. Like, they all have, have kind of a, a decent knock on them um, for a couple reasons. You know, each of them have it. I think there's a, a big option. I mean, personally, if, if I would love to see them take Barkley number one yeah, and then kind of see which quarterback is going to be there at four because, of all, you know, we've just talked about four quarterbacks and, you know, only, there's only two picks between you. So yeah. two of those four are still going to be there. Um, and I, I just think Barkley is that talent that yep. – and you put him in the backfield. And as much as I love that we went out and got Carlos Hyde, and it's great to have Duke Johnson. You know, yeah. Hyde has injury troubles. And I think Barkley gives you that almost Le'Veon Bell type of back, that yeah. he's going to do everything on top of the fact that you're now going to have Gordon and Landry out there. Like, it just – that possibility is, is crazy big. Yeah. And if, if you're going to sit a guy for two years anyway, I don't know that there's a big difference. I mean, I honestly still think you can get Sam Darnold at number four if that's your guy. Yeah, I think um, it's just uh, it's just part of what's made it so interesting. This whole kind of draft speculation this year is that you've got like Donald has been anointed as the number one pick, like presumptively, mm-hmm. for all throughout. You know, since since he had that Rose Bowl game come back two years ago, people were like, "Oh, when this guy comes out, like look at the poise," and he just like mm-hmm. nothing phases him, and he makes these. I got to admit, he. Um, He's pretty. He's pretty accurate. Like he he drops some some serious dimes. So I spent most of this year trying to tune into more USC games and just try and see him against kind of wide varieties of competition. And what what I saw most times when I tuned in was like just completely all over the place performance. Like he'd have <laughs> he'd have games where he just like he's getting he's fumbling the ball a bunch. Um, he's like just kind of he's not necessarily missing guys that are open, but more so just like. Doesn't look like he's settled through a lot of the game. Mm-hmm. And then there's games where he's like, he's, you know, dropping, dropping perfect passes and, and using the, the run pass option like really well. So I don't know. I, I feel like, just like you said, you could go, you could make a case for or against, I think, any of the mm-hmm. guys we've talked about so far. Um, you know, I think Josh Rosen, if he wasn't uh, coming off like, you know, some concussion scare uh, uh, towards the end of the year and, you know, have like the, the whatever else um, extraneous factors that I think people have kind of blown out of proportion, to be honest, but um, mm-hmm. they seem to still be brought up whenever he's mentioned. If you take those yeah. down just a little bit, I think he looks more like the 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 number one pick type of quarterback that you normally see. But I mean, I think it seems to be pretty clear that they're already enamored with with Dan, with Darnold, and I don't think that's necessarily you know the wrong choice. I just – it'd be tough for me to make that choice given the couple games I saw last year. But, I mean, they're doing, you know, 200% more effort than, than I am or we are of, like, meeting him, working him out, even having, like, offensive coaches talk to him, whiteboarding, all the stuff that goes into it, you know. So, we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think was, if – I was just going to say, if they go ahead in this year with, like, hey, how long is Tyrod's leash? Is it, like, the full year? Like, if we're oh. If we're, if we're a one-win team two months into the year, 
does that change how we look at Tyrod? Is it just dependent on how he's playing? If you go into that, then you're like, okay, then you might be willing to wait the full year it takes for Allen to kind of get tuned up and, and go from there, you know? So I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think um, I agree with you that I think um, in a lot of ways they've kind of anointed Darnold as, as the consensus number one pick. Um, I think a lot of that also has to do with the fact that Jimmy Haslam showed up at his pro day yeah. and then, like, went to dinner with his family. And, like, yeah. he, he didn't really do that with anybody else. Right. Um, you know, so he is a bit of a hands-on owner too. So that kind of makes me right. wonder of like, is there a consensus that, yeah, like Darnold is the guy, mm-hmm. um, is it smoke and mirrors? Yeah. You know, I, I, I still think in terms of, um, of fit for Cleveland, I think Josh Allen is, is still that big curious, um, quarterback for me of like, he's got the size he's played in the weather. Um, you know, playing in, in the AFC North in December is a, it's not a fun it's place a thing. to play. It's a real thing. It's, it's cold. It's brutal. <laughs> yeah. Those teams are nasty yeah. up there. Um, so you bring up the smoke and mirrors. That mold. You know, and um, Dorsey, uh, he actually, you know, he had a nice thing to say about all, all four of the top quarterbacks, top prospects. But he also said that they, on draft day, they'll be answering the phone if people want to trade up and get the number one pick. So it's a, it's a little, yeah. I mean, do you think he'd really I, do that? Would they really trade away the number one pick overall? Um, I don't know. I mean, if you have, who has, is it Buffalo that has two first round picks right now? Uh, um, they, like, they traded one already. They moved up to 12. But, Does it New uh, England have two? Oh, two oh no, I'm sorry. Yeah. They still, <laughs> Buffalo still has two. My bad. They traded one of theirs and they yeah. had two. So yeah, they still have two. So something like that, whereas if, you know, if you get a team like Buffalo, that's possibly willing to like part with two other picks this year and you're still, you're still picking at number four. So like, you know, again, if you if you think Josh Allen is the guy you want, um, I could see a potential where you could say, yeah, we could, you know, potentially get that 12 and a late first rounder from Buffalo for them to jump up and then possibly another pick next year. Because um, surprisingly enough, the Browns don't have a lot of um, extra draft picks next year, even though we seem to have like tons of picks every year since, <laughs> I don't know, the last five years. All we do yeah. is stockpile draft picks. Yeah. Um, and we do have five picks in the first two rounds this year. So yeah. it's, uh, there's a lot of things, I think, in play. And I think Dorsey's just kind of, you know. Put it um, all out do, there. Yeah, doing his due diligence to say, look, man, nothing's off the table. Um, we won zero games last year. So every option is open there and nothing is yeah. guaranteed. We yeah. need to do what is best to make this team a winning team. Yeah. And if that's the potential, they could, you know, get a ransom from Buffalo for them to move up. You know, there's still a good chance then that, like, you know, Buffalo would pick one, the Giants would pick two and not take a quarterback. And then you're still sitting at four with, uh, you know, what possibly one of those. Exactly. So, um, and potentially your top choice still there. So I I think at that point, anything is possible. Um, And if if the deal is that good, I think they're willing to listen. I think if they didn't have that fourth pick sitting right behind there, yeah, I think sure. it's a no-brainer. They're, they're not going to do anything. They're going to take somebody, a quarterback, at number one. Yeah. But just, you know, having that fourth pick so close gives them a lot of options and a lot of leeway to figure out what they want to do. Um, yeah. I, I think so, as, as likely as it is for them to still entertain calls, I don't know, I just feel like, kind of like you are saying, what's it, five picks in the top 60? Two. Six, 60, or, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, 
they got to make picks. They they can't always like be trading down. Um, I felt like the last uh, regime was kind of they weren't trying to trade down all the time, but it seemed like they were trying to move around all the time. So trade up, trade down. They're trying to like moneyball, like you said, right? So yeah. I don't know. I feel like if they're going to move a pick, it might be more likely that they move four. But um, okay. uh, that could, again, depend on, like, the package that Buffalo is willing to send. Because just, like, it's going to cost so much to move up to one, whereas what it could cost to move up to four. And, you know, uh, depends who Buffalo loves, right? They could be trying yeah. to swing a deal with the Giants and say, hey, who, whichever quarterback the Browns don't take, that's who we'll take, and we're down, you know? Um, but let's say – let's, let's con- continue with the kind of the conventional conversation of, okay, they take Darnold. And then let's say, so the Giants are really the monkey wrench, in my opinion, right? They could go easily two different ways. Uh, I think two, if not three. They just traded away Jason Pierre-Paul. So I think mm-hmm. if they try to get a pass rusher, Bradley Chubb obviously makes a lot of sense. And, and that, the dots kind of align there for me. But mm-hmm. overall, I'm sitting here going like, they keep talking about how they want to extend Eli's career, keep him around, keep him alive. And I'm like, getting him Saquon Barkley uh, makes a lot of sense for doing that, right? Um, and mm-hmm. if they can – and I think they'll sort out this Odell situation. I think it's just basically a standoff. He's not getting traded anywhere. So then you're talking about an offense that has Odell and Saquon and you're um, trying to keep Eli, you know, around longer. I think that's the easy way to do it. Um, lastly, it's really rare to see a guard go that high, but – the uh, um, Quentin Nelson coming out of Notre Dame, it seems like mm-hmm. that type of like rare kind of elite immediate impact Pro Bowl level guard that only comes around every now and then. Um, guards have only gone in the top 10, I think, three times ever or something. So I think if you got an old school kind of GM, they're probably just going to be like, no, we don't do that. No one drafts guards that high. Uh, so I think Saquon or Chubb makes a lot of sense for them, right? <clears throat> Let's say they take Saquon. And then the Jets, I think, are all pegged for a quarterback at three. So in that scenario, at four, I mean, you're still in a great situation with the Browns, right? You could take Chubb and have him with Miles Garrett, which could really be insane uh, in the front seven. And then, or you could take like a back end anchor like Nick Fitzpatrick or, you know, someone, someone like that. So let's say Saquon's off the table. Do you have a, a way in which you're leaning of uh, what they could do? Um, yeah, so, um, I kind of think if, if Barkley's off the table, I feel like they would lean a little bit more towards Chubb. Um, you know, they they did go out and get a bunch of, um, not the, you know, not the top tier free agents on the market, but, you know, they went out and got, um, you know, uh, Damaris Randall from the Packers and Terrence Mitchell from the Chiefs and Travis Carey from the Raiders. Um, but they did get rid of Devin McCourty. So, um, you know, they don't really have any true corners coming back. They mm-hmm. do have Jabril Peppers in the background, yeah. um, but, you know, they still need a good safety to pair with him. Um, yeah. And whether or not that's going to be, you know, possibly Carrier or Mitchell or something, yeah. I don't know, or Randall, one of those guys. Um, but I think they would take Chubb because, you know, yeah, again, I think so point, pairing, him, pairing him with Miles Garrett on the outside there and then having um, – the uh, outside linebacker, Obda, yep. you know, when he was healthy last year, uh, when him and Miles were on the field at the same time, like, whoa, man, they were, they were dangerous. Yep. And the fact that you could add Chubb to that mix, yep. um, I mean, that, that offers a lot of potential yep. where 
you now have a defensive line and a front seven that is very, very dangerous. They can get right. to the quarterback. Um, and you can have a, a secondary that is not carrying maybe a top-tier safety or corner because right. it's going to give them more time to play defense. You know, sure. you don't have to have a pure shutdown corner if, if you got ends and linebackers that are getting to the quarterback in under three seconds. Yeah. Um, I, I think Chubb would be, in my mind, would be the guy I, w- I would like to see them go after it for if yep. uh, Barkley is off the table. I, I just yeah. – he would – I think he fits also Greg Williams' defense and that yeah. that attacking scheme. And, I mean, the, the possibilities of him and Garrett out there. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you're a guard and those two are lined up in front of you on one side of the ball. Sure. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. oof. Yeah, I, I think Bradley Chubb is uh, – he's sort of getting lost in the shuffle with all the, the, the quarterback conversation, and obviously Saquon is getting a lot, enough – more than enough attention, as, as they all should. Um, mm-hmm. But Chubb, Chubb's, like, clearly very, very good. I don't know if in another draft if he's considered to be the number one pick. Maybe, maybe not. I, I could see that now. Like, Miles Garrett, you know, you, you obviously felt like he's a number one pick in most drafts. Um, mm-hmm. Jadavian Clowney, number one pick in most drafts. Like, when you, there's a certain type of defensive end. But yep. if you're not having a Watt and Clowney situation like Houston's blessed with, uh, then mm. having a Garrett and Chubb, um, you know, front seven is still pretty, pretty favorable. Um, and we spent a lot of time already talking about the offense of, of the, the, the people you have on offense in Cleveland. So mm. um, getting more help on defense is going to necessarily be, you know, requisite at some point. Um, Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it's uh... – they gotta they gotta get some more stoppers in there. Um, it's it's good to see them get some pass rushers and yep. um, it, you know health is definitely a big question mark for this defense. Right. You know Miles was hindered a little a lot last year. Ugda was hindered a little bit last year. Um, they got rid of Danny Shelton at the defensive tackle. So um, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how they um, kind of rebound this year and uh, yeah. get a little hungrier, a little nastier. Uh, yeah. See what they can do. Yeah. So, um, can we just talk about Saquon just for a minute, though, because absolutely. Oh yeah. We can talk, this dude. We can talk about him the whole time. rest of the episode, man. I know, right? This dude. So, I'm just gonna I did a little. You know, I got a little thing prepared about this guy. So he's six foot, two hundred thirty-three pounds for a running back. Yeah. That's big, pretty big. Right. Right. Twenty-nine reps on the bench press. So it's better than yeah. all but five of the. 36 offensive linemen who took part in the bench press this year. Yeah. So he's benching like a lineman. 41 inch vertical jump. He ran a 4-4 in the 40 yard dash. So <laughs> um, let's see. There's only one player who actually had a better uh, like output in the bench, the vertical, and the 40. And um, nor you want to make a guess who that uh, like in recent drafts. You any guesses who that might be? Recent drafts, who did more what, – what category was it again? So in the, um, the bench press, the vertical jump, and the 40. Recent drafts meaning like the last like 15 years or something. Last 15 years to do all of those. Uh, I got to go with probably your favorite running back, Trent Richardson. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my favorite. Chris Johnson? No, he's not. He wouldn't have gotten twenty nine oh, reps on the bench oh, press. That's true. Yeah, right, right. Um, Vernon Davis. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, I was thinking running backs all the time. You tricked me with yeah. your tricky uh-huh. tricks. Oh, yeah, wow. that's right. Vernon yeah. Davis is actually the only other player who can like match uh, those um, those stats. Yeah, 
Yeah. So he did 33 reps on the bench, had a 42-inch vertical and a 438-40. But that's just ridiculous. Anyway, um, so but and and all those numbers are better than than Ezekiel. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) and also faster than Alvin Kamara or Leonard Fournette. Yeah. So yeah, the guy, the guy, like just like his stats are just off the charts, right? Um, so the criticisms on him, right? He he bounces it outside too, you know, too often, yeah. which is less likely to work at the NFL level. Um, you know, he's not a kind of a power runner like you would think from somebody as big as him. It's more like a yeah. scat back or something. But it's just because he's so damn fast. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have mm-hmm. great vision. I don't know. But um, I mean, what NFL running backs coach would not want the chance? to like fix whatever's wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, all you're doing in the stuff that you mentioned that you're trying to quote unquote fix is like, oh, okay. Hey, you just need to learn what runs, what, what types of runs you can fight for to get outside and what ones you're like, Hey, it's not there. Put your head down, get, get, or excuse yeah. me, put your, put your shoulder down um, and uh, get, you know, the yard or two maybe that you can let's run it back for next play. Um, that's that's always been something that I think has been challenging for some running backs to get. Barkley seems to be like such a like natural football player. I don't think it'll be any problem for him to adjust. Um, and let's say he lands in Cleveland like we're talking about. Um, he's not going to be relied on 30 times a game to run the ball, right? Because you're going to share a bit with Hyde. You, some touches are going to go Duke Johnson's way, whether they're just in the passing game or not. Um, so he's going to get a chance to kind of balance things out and stay fresh probably longer. And when they need the home run or late in the game, you can use him, you know, in all the different ways to, uh, to keep, to keep things rolling. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like there's been a lot of uh, draft coverage on like, Oh, dream scenario of where he would end up and where he could, where he could go. And I'm like, unless those dream teams quote unquote are trading up to four or beyond that, I don't think there's going to be a lot of teams (laughs) that get a shot at him. Like, yeah. If he's on the board, there's I don't think there's any way Cleveland passes on him twice. I would I don't agree. think so either. I mean, I, I don't know. But so, um, you know, if, if he goes to Cleveland, is it kind of like a, an Ezekiel Elliott, Alfred Morris situation? Like in that case, Zeke was the clear starter. Alfred Morris is just – he's a – I mean, on most teams he'd be a starting running back. And he – Yeah. But he's just like really good insurance for them. Yeah. I think uh, – I mean, I'll let Brian respond too, I, but I, that's what I think. Um, I'm, you just stick to kind of your draft board and you go like who's – you know, if quarterback's your, your best player, then if Saquon's your second best, you need to take him. I mean, the Vikings had just spent a lot of money getting Chester Taylor from the Ravens when uh, they were at the seventh pick or whatever in the draft and AP falls to him, they stick to their draft board, the rest is history, right? Like, you know, over the next eight, nine years, you you know what you got and – Sorry, Chester Taylor, but this guy's just better than you. Uh, <laughs> you kind of have to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, man, if, if to see him in uh, brown and orange would be uh, something pretty <laughs> special, especially seeing as how you know we play Pittsburgh twice a year, and he's coming yeah. over from Penn State. Um, and it, it's funny because a lot of t- I've been thinking about this quite a bit. With you know, I I really want the Browns to take Barkley at one. I, I still think he's the best player in the draft, and I, I think you, you take the best player on the board. I've, I've always had that philosophy, and, like, I think you should take Barkley at number one. And it always – this still sticks in my head of, like, the Damian Tomlinson and Tim Couch. We took mm-hmm. Tim Couch over LT. 
and look what that <laughs> look what happened there. Um, not that you know, I'm not saying the quarterbacks in this draft are going to be like Tim Couch, but a couple you know, of them could be though. Yeah, anything could happen, and I just think that Saquon Barkley is the best player in the draft. Um, to see him play with Hyde, I think it would be similar to what you were saying about you know the Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Alfred Morris situation. Um, Carlos Hyde could do a lot of the interior running, um, you know, a lot of the pounding and um, grounded out time and things like that. And then Barkley kind of hits him with the home run um, when the defense wears down a little bit. Yeah. Um, the other thing that would make that intriguing if they took Barkley is, well, now you look at a guy that uh, like Duke Johnson that has been rumored to possibly make a conversion to slot receiver. Yep. They've been talking about that all last year and in the, a little bit in this offseason. And, you know, with outside of the top, outside of the three main receivers we have, you know, there's not a lot of other guys on that roster that are very reliable, um, as we saw for 16 games last year. Yeah. You know, um, of everybody that was on the roster last year playing receiver, um, you know, outside of Josh Gordon, Duke Johnson has the best hands of any of those guys. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that potential there makes it very intriguing to see the possibility of, of Barkley in Cleveland. Um, and I, I do think he's, he's just that home run talent. Um, yeah. And it, the other thing that makes it interesting is watching him play, he reminds me a lot of Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. Um, in terms of, like, he's got that speed to hit the outside. Um, but then at times he does know when to just like, you know, it might be a draw play up the middle and there's not a lot there and just tuck the ball and try to pound it and get a yard or so and just, just take the down and go, go to the next one. Um, yeah. I think Todd Haley could help him learn a little bit of that and, um, you know, kind of compliment that because he saw that in Pittsburgh with Le'Veon and, sure. you know, he would, he'd be able to help coach that up a little bit in Barkley. Yeah. The Haley signing was, uh, I don't know if I, could, if I could say it was overlooked, but I don't. There's so many different things to talk about with with Cleveland surrounding what they could do in the draft and what they've done in free agency, and I get it. But like, man, uh, stealing Todd Haley away from Pittsburgh is a big deal in a lot of ways. Um, a, he's just got an offense that already his scheme works in the NFL. Mm -hmm. I think he's proven it. Um, yeah, maybe you don't always get the luxury of drafting an Antonio Brown or a. Uh, or a Le'Veon Bell type of player all the time, or or have a franchise quarterback like like Roethlisberger all the time. But um, even beyond, like let's say beyond uh, Antonio Brown, I mean, other receivers were working in that offense, right? Like Mike mm -hmm. Wallace was making plays and and getting getting paid. Um, you know, they've had a kind of run on hitting on some of these like third round, fourth round pick receivers that end up contributing because. They just fit their scheme and they know what it is. So I think Haley is a big part of that where he's like, oh, yeah, I know what guys fit and um, what type of players fit. So mm -hmm. if you run with that that narrative, let's say they either have a rough start or, um, you know, uh, actually, let's, let's, let's keep it – we keep it positive even for a little bit. Hugh doesn't, <laughs> have to, Hugh doesn't have to worry about running the offense and running the locker room and, like, keeping the roster in order and, all, like, all that. He can just yep. be like a motivator and, and try yep. and be that guy. And like Haley, you got the keys. You run the offense. And I don't think Hughes had the luxury of that. He's been under the gun of, hey, you're an offensive guy. Fix this offense and be our head coach. Like some guys can't do both, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, I think that's one of the biggest things of, of the offseason is, you know, taking the play calling away from Hugh and letting him focus on the overall game plan 
um, and not worrying about the date, like, you know, every play and having to call it. Um, as a first-time head coach, you know, I think that was that was a bit of a – that kind of dragged him down a little bit in terms of, like, not being able to be the, the coach that he could be. And I think that's something the you know, possibly Dorsey saw when, when he came in and they made the decision. They're like, no, we're going to go get an offensive coordinator. Like, yeah. in order to make this work, we need an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, if, if things do go south, it does make it easier for them to move on from you, right. you know, if, if they need to. Um, yeah. If things are working out and Haley's doing well in offense or Williams is doing well in defense um, and all that. But, yeah, I think it, it makes life's, Hughes' life easier. Um, he can focus on running the team and not having to call the day-to-day in every single play. Um, and Todd Haley, yeah, I mean, he, he brings, he brings this playbook that it works in the NFL. Um, you know, even those weapons he had in Pittsburgh, like you were saying before, like Antonio Brown went down and when he was hurt for a little bit, like you saw these receivers that people didn't really know about all of a sudden having these hundred yard games out of nowhere. Um, and that's a, that's an attribute to how well his scheme works. Um, I also love the fact that, you know, we took him from Pittsburgh. So it's yeah. a little bit of a, it's a little middle finger. Uh, <laughs> Always nice. Steelers. Always um, nice. Yeah. It's something I got. I got to love that, man. Yeah. Um, anything we can do to take a jab at Pittsburgh is, is good in my book. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I, I love that. And it's, uh, it's really going to be good to see it. But again, I, I think that also goes back to the possibility of like, man, imagine Barkley in that offense Yeah. and what Todd Haley could do with them. And right. Oh man, it just it makes me smile. It makes me happy. Yeah. Like, ooh, it's so possible. The uh, <laughs> the 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 extension of the conversation that I've heard people say of of even passing on Barkley twice, which has been brought up, um, is just that you know they did sign Carlos Hyde. Mm. This running back class, along with Barkley, obviously, is a very good class. I mean, he's part of what makes it very good. But beyond him, it's still very good. Um, mm. So there's the the thought process of like, okay, well, if you get like you know, your future quarterback and your difference maker on defense, whether it's Mika Fitzpatrick or, um, or Bradley Chubb, or maybe even say, Hey, we want to get like an anchor um, in the front seven to help, help free up everybody else. And you get like, you know, a middle linebacker or, or trade down a little bit and get um, a different safety. Like there, there Mm -hmm. are a lot of options. Then do you take, you still take a running back later to help kind of fill out the offense like we're talking about. My my whole thing is if you're thinking about taking a running back at any point in the draft and you're passing on Barkley twice, you're going to need to convince me a lot um, that yeah. that it's the way to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly I I have a hard time believing they would pass on Barkley twice. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it kind of the conventional wisdom is yeah they take that quarterback at one and then at four you take the best player on the board right. and that basically is going to depend on what the Giants do it to. Yeah. You know. If if they take Chubb, if they take Barkley, if they trade out for somebody that wants a quarterback, um, you kind of take whoever the best man on the board is. And I think yeah. if Barkley's on the board, he's the best guy on the board, and you, you got to take him. Um, it's it's hard to see. It's hard for me to see how you could pass on a guy that is that much of a freak athlete, yeah. and his his upside is so big. Yeah, um, and and we haven't even gotten into it yet. I mean, all of the stuff about. What's he like as a leader? What's he like in the locker room? What's he like kind of as a person off the field? Like, I almost think this guy's like 
he was created in a lab or something somewhere. Like he, <laughs> he's like, he, he checks all the boxes. I mean, yeah. we're like, we're talking about like, Oh, he doesn't always put his head down and get an extra yard or two when he can. Like this is nitpicking, you know, like, yeah. we, yeah. <laughs> like he is, uh, he is legit. And yeah. you've seen teams over the last couple of years. If we talk about the best quarter, uh, excuse me, the best running backs in football, um, other than like the, I think the more outlier guys of like, Oh, if you find Alvin Kamara in third round, or if you find mm. a Kareem Hunt, or if you find a, a, a David Johnson, or you get lucky with getting a, a Le'Veon Bell in the second round and having him lose weight and change his kind of body style mm-hmm. like you did, unless you do all that, you've seen teams turn around with going, hey, this running back's amazing. Let's take yep. him. Like Todd Gurley, uh, Leonard Fournette, Zeke Elliott. You know, like those are all top ten guys, and there's a reason – <clears throat> there's a reason that uh, that they've been able to help their teams turn around as quickly as they have. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I, Barkley, man. Yeah, I really <laughs> want to see him in brown and orange, man, so bad. Also, the other thing that makes it interesting is, like, the possibility of them taking Barkley at one because, right. I mean, if you take Barkley at one and Josh Allen is your quarterback, um, then that gives you a lot of luxury to say – Josh Allen's got to take, you know, he's got two years to basically learn learn the offense and get ready to play. And then we're going to have this generational running back behind him that, like, when he's ready to play, this dude's going to be two years in yeah. and hopefully going to be lighting things up. Yeah. Um, and then it's not so much pressure on him whenever he is ready. Um, yeah. It also makes the transition for Tyrod coming in, you know, like, look, man, it would almost be like a prove it time for Tyrod because you're like, look, man, you got weapons. You got a lot of weapons. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's see. You you can prove that you're you could play in this league or not. Yep. Um So it would be a very interesting scenario to put that in. Um, if they do take Barkley at one, uh, yep. it's still again, it's still my still my dream. If a little they pipe that. dream. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. yeah, it'd be fun to see. Um, it would so- be amazing. So, Brian, I, I grew up in the Seattle area in the 70s and 80s when the Seahawks were just starting off. The Mariners were terrible. Then I went to Washington State University where we were just perennially, perennially bad. We'd have these kind of glimpses of – every so often there'd be this little glimpse of, like, oh, maybe this is the year we kind of turn the corner or yeah. something, right? Like, it seems to me the best-case scenario for this, like, what's about – like, the, everything seems to be kind of aligning for, for Cleveland this year, right? And the best mm-hmm. case, it's like a like, – similar maybe to like the turnaround that the Raiders did a few years ago, you know, where they kind of, they hit on a couple of really like just excellent draft picks. They just kind of made a series of smart moves and all of a sudden they're a contender, you know, um, on the other hand, <laughs> you know, it's the Browns have just been terrible the last two years. It's been a while <laughs> since they were really good. Right. I mean, yeah, like, it has. like what's your, like, what's your spidey sense telling you? Like, is like, are you buying into it? Are you like kind of, like you really think this is going to be the thing or like, or is it just, is there still like that little, like that kind of nagging doubt, like, Oh, we're probably going to screw this up too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that, that little nagging voice in your head, that's, uh, that's just called being a Cleveland fan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's always there. Um, you know, I've seen one playoff game since the Browns came back um, in 99 um, when they played the Steelers and um I think it was uh, Kelly Holcomb threw for like 400 yards in that game. And the Browns put up like 21 points or something in the first half and then got smoked in the second half. 
Um, you know, I'd like to see a playoff game. You know, mm-hmm. unlike, you know, rooting for the Cavs or the Indians where it's like, you know, the finals of the World Series. Like, yeah. I just want to see us go to the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll take a winning season right Obviously. now. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's all I'm hoping for. Yeah. Um, but in terms of all that, you know, I think I think I'm happy they changed the uh, the front office. I think that was a good move. I was always skeptical when they brought in um, Pode- De Podesta and um, Sashi. Uh, Sashi. Yeah, because yeah, it's like you brought in a lawyer and you brought in a, a baseball guy. This is football. They're, they're not the same. You can't run a football team like you do a baseball team. Like, it right. just it doesn't work that way. Like, you, you need to spend money to have a competitive team. And just getting, you know, compiling draft picks over draft picks, that doesn't alleviate the fact if, if those aren't quality. Right. Um, I think they made the right moves in um, bringing in Todd Haley to, to take some of that away from Hugh and, um, you know, kind of have, have people focus on what they need to do. Um, so I think there is a lot of optimism in Cleveland. Um, but we've been in this situation before, too. So there is that, uh, there is that skepticism that I'm always going to have. Yeah. Um, but it gets really exciting, you know, around draft time. I, 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 like I kind of said at the start, like this is usually the Brown Super Bowl time of year when we're getting ready for draft day and we're, you know, we're undefeated still at this point. <laughs> um, so I think there's a lot of optimism and it's going to, you know, um, I, think they're, I think they're making moves in the right direction, you know. Yeah. It would be nice to see them get about four to six wins this year. Um, I think they have potential for more if injuries don't derail it or, or things like that. Um, but I, I think they're on the right path. I think they've made some good moves in the last couple of years, you know, going out and getting Jamie Collins to, uh, you know, anchor that linebacking core. That was a very oh, yeah. smart move. Getting yeah, that. We didn't even talk about Jamie Collins. He's yeah, a hell of a guy too. Yeah. And he's coming, up, he's coming off injury. So, like, yeah. you know, can he get back to Pro Bowl form or is he going to be hampered by those injuries? Right. But you put him in – you know, you put him in the linebacking core with uh, <clears throat> Chris Kirksey, who's been leading the team in tackles, I think, the last yeah. two seasons. Yeah. You know, that's just a motor guy who just goes, 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 goes. So now, and then, you know, Ugda has been really solid, but he had a couple injury problems. Same thing with Miles right. Garrett, you know. Right. If we can get some of these guys to stay healthy a little bit, if Josh Gordon can play 16 games. You know, there's a lot of what-ifs on this team right now. Sure. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of upside that, I think they're going to start winning some football games and they're going to start getting on the right path. Um, And I think they're also, you know, again, the whole, you know, they're kind of, um, they're kind of aligning a lot of their pieces now at a time when some of the other teams in this division are kind of winding down off of their, um, their, their good years, you know, Flacco's getting older, Ben's getting older. Um, So I, I, I do think there's a lot of upside. I think, you know, I'm not thinking they're going to, they're going to go anything crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a surprise win in, like, you know, getting to 500 would be an amazing feat um, for them. I think this team has the potential to do that. Uh, their schedule does look a little rough, though. Um, yeah. They're playing a lot put, of playoffs. You got to put money on it. What, what would you say? Oh, there he is. There's the money guy. Um, <laughs> Which we'll, we'll wrap it up with uh, just predictions on, like, how many. We have to put money on it. I think they're going to win six to eight games this year. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. I think six to eight. I, <clears throat> I'll admit I haven't uh, looked at their schedule to, to really go game by game and try and see what that tallies up. That's so why I prefer to do this game. But um, 
Just off the top of my head, I mean, I think they're definitely going to be better. I think they're definitely going to be a lot more competitive, um, regardless of what angles they take in the draft, because the other moves they made just kind of set them up for that. Um, all that being said, I think teams usually take a, like, a little bit longer to like make that full turn that we're talking about, and the buildup to it is is really the question. That's where you lose the most time or, or spend the most time, excuse me. So I think if we're – if we're casually talking about like six and 10, eight and eight, I feel like you have some heartbreaking games here and there that happen um, that maybe you're in and you lose, or you just get blown out or you uh, it's a shootout and you just don't have the ball last, like any number of things. So I think the difference from a six win year to a four win year, it gets it, it ends up shaking out that way. So I would probably slot it right in between that and say they, uh, you know, are in a lot of their games, like, you know, eight to six of them winnable um, and end up winning like four or five. So I'd probably put it at five, uh, con- you know, conservative estimate. If they won six or end up winning eight, you know, I think it's going to come down to finishing some of the games where they have a chance to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I just peeked at the schedule. That That is a little rough. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a tough one this year. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I guess I, you know, looking at it, I, I mean, I would say four to six is, is pretty realistic. I mean, um, you know, like you're saying, Cincinnati's kind of up and down. Uh, you know, um, the Jets, who knows? Uh, you know, I mean, it just kind of depends on whether these other teams, you know, the Chargers, whether they show up or not. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, four to six after one win in the last two seasons, I mean, that's, that's definitely headed in the right direction, right? And Progress. these things, like, like Nora's saying, like they take – really like at least like two years to really kind of take um, bear fruit. And yeah, you know, cause yep. I, the, the way I think about it is always kind of like in this like two to three year sort of like trajectory, right. Mm-hmm. Where you go, Hey, yep. you surprise everybody. And let's mm-hmm. say that's this year and they win six games or they win eight even. And that's the surprise. Well then next year, you're not surprising anyone excuse yep. me, the year after that. So you're like, okay, well we really got to earn those wins then. And that's where mm-hmm. usually you have a little bit of like a regression or at least just like, you know, return to the mean, um, mm-hmm. or you just kind of say, Hey, no, eight and eight was where we're starting. And then we build from there. So it, you, yeah. you kind of don't know well, what way that's going to go. Uh, but I just think most rebuild efforts in, in the NFL, given the league model and the, the, the CBA and everything else that factors into it, um, just ends up taking around that long. Um, of course you have outliers like the Rams just showed up and decided to wreck football last year, mm-hmm. but yeah. you know, um, and along with the moves they made this year, uh, you know, they're, they're favorites in a lot of ways for uh, mm-hmm. uh, going deep. But at the same time, they're not surprising anyone this year. Like, there's no way yeah. that offense is going to be like, oh, where's this coming from? It's like, mm-hmm. no, you just had the MVP. You're not surprising yeah. anyone on offense <laughs> yeah. now, you know. So, yeah. the, so the jury's out. We'll, we'll see how they respond to that. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it ends up taking teams, you know, that, that amount of time to, to fully turn around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, two to three years is that usual turnaround time. Um, interesting point though, bringing up the Rams, like, you know, the Rams made that big turnaround last year on the, on the back of Todd Gurley. Yeah. And then you, you kind of saw the same thing two years ago, with Zeke Elliott, yeah. the Dallas Cowboys. And um, I think that also goes back to the point of like why I want the Browns to take <laughs> yeah. number one. I, yeah, and running, I think if, if we're looking like for, can do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, no, absolutely. And I mean, even like, even Fournette, right? With the uh, with Jacksonville, yep. I think it's mm-hmm. all about it's all about having the team, um, you know, 
be at a starting point where they just have a ton of talent, whatever it's dedicated mm-hmm. to, right? Jacksonville yep. is dedicated to um, the defense. Really insane, that defense. And so yeah. when they got Fournette, they're like, cool, we have like an anchor on offense now. Um, mm-hmm. Zeke with the Cowboys, their offensive line was already being touted as one of the best in the league. Yeah. You plug in Zeke and it's like you're fishing with dynamite. <laughs> it's not fair. Uh, and then with Gurley, it was like, I mean, they Aaron Donald and, and, you know, various other, like, athletic players that they were able to put on the team. But the thing for him was they just needed to get Jeff Fisher out of there and run yeah. an offense <laughs> and run an offense from this goddamn century. And yeah. they were able to – all of a sudden able to do something, you know, because yeah. you, you saw Fisher. what – Everyone hates Jeff Fisher. Who loves Jeff Fisher? Nobody. Come on. You want to talk about 8-8? Eight and eight? We could have a whole episode talking about oh, that yeah. dude, 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah. Oh, God. He's the master of 8-8. Eight and eight. All right. Well, God. this has been really fun, guys. Um, it's I, been and, uh, awesome. Yeah, I, um, I'm hopeful for you, Brian. You know. Thank you. Of course. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of surprised for you, to be man. honest. Yeah. Like, I mean, just yeah. the once the once the pieces started, like once the moves started happening, I was like, oh, okay, something's going on here. And then another move would happen, and then like, and then you're like, but then yeah, number one, number four in the draft. I mean, you know, it's all it's, it might come together for you. Yeah. I. I yeah. I mean. The trades were awesome. I think Dorsey, uh, Dorsey, when we signed Dorsey, um, that gave me a lot of hope of like, yep. you know, watching what he did in Kansas City. Um, I think he's on the right track to turning things around at Cleveland. You know, you know, guys like Tyrod may not be the, the final answer, but he's turning things around to get him into a place where they're going to win football games and be competitive. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's the that's the biggest thing right there. Yeah, um, let's change the mindset. You know, let's, let's, right? Let's be competitive. Let's be in games. Um, let's get excited for Browns football again. Um, you know, they got to kind of get some of these fans back um, after lagging the last couple of years and the, the upkeep of the Cavs and the Indians. And, yep, yep. Um, you know, they got to start putting a good product on the field. And I think they're, right. they're, they're really doing that this offseason. And, you know, the excitement's going to be there um, for draft day, of course. And, uh, you know, once training camp go, comes up, I think it's – I think there's going to be a big buzz around Cleveland for the Browns this year, and, and people are going to get excited. Um, you know, as a season ticket holder still in California, you know, I'm holding <laughs> on to those things because I want to go to I don't want to, I want to go to a Browns playoff game. Like I yeah. want to see one of those <laughs> as is, a season ticket holder. Like, come yeah. on, oh yeah. man, one day we'll cool. get there. So hopefully, <laughs> you know, the, the motto around Cleveland is always "There's always next year," and uh, you know, hopefully. Hopefully one of these years coming up, we'll be able to say, you know, this year. Yeah. So. Exactly. Agree, man. Yeah. Well, Brian, it's been great having you, man. Thanks for, it's been awesome. thanks for joining. Um, I'm sure we'll do this again sometime soon. Please. Um, uh, I'd if, love to come back on. Yeah. If not before the draft, um, then maybe right after to get your, get your reactions. Uh, okay. We'll give you a couple minutes to compose yourself, of course, depending <laughs> on how it goes. And then, you know, we'll, we'll try and get as hot of a take from you as we can. All right. That's right. Uh, yeah, let's try and make that <laughs> work. Yeah, let me know. Cool. I, I would definitely love to uh, come back and do this again. Awesome, man. Awesome. Awesome. Right on. It's been the Slant and Go. Right. Dog Pound Edition. Very cool. Love it.